So, what am I talking about this morning? <laughs> Who knows, obviously. could be anything, the way things started. But I had a couple of messages in my mind throughout the week, you know, because we've been looking at, you know, being called and chosen, and, and I've sort of been saying, you know, guys, make sure that you don't go and just look for the big things in life when it comes to the things of God. You know, some people are in that place, some aren't. You know, they, they're looking to be called by God for something big and... And while I'm saying that, you know, God's called us into this place. He's called us to be as we were when we were saved, not to, to try and be anything different than that. Um, at the same time, God does sometimes have a big call for people. And that was one of the messages rattling around in my brain, you know, that actually God does have a big call sometimes. And who knows who in this congregation might be called to something bigger than what we would call normal, you know, that normal Christian life. Where, where so someone like Moses got called or, or Mary got called and Deborah to do some amazing things for God. And, you know, there is that time in our life when we do get big calls. How do we be ready for that? Um, so that was rattling around in my brain, but I just couldn't help but shake a message that I felt like God had placed in my heart a while ago. And um, it, it's to do with really, I guess, for us as a church, what are we looking to do over the next 10 years sort of like a, a bit of a what are we meant to be doing over the next 10 years I'm not casting a vision as such it's not a vision Sunday or anything like that this is more of a I guess a challenge Sunday in many ways you know where I really believe God is throwing out a challenge to us as a church all right so we're going to look at that what, what is it that God is calling us to do because um, where we've come from to where we are now has been a journey of faith, right? And man, many of you would know that. Matt came up last week and he was talking about, you know, even the start of the church and, you know, how we had to get funds together and we talked, he talked about the Wood Collection Day and other days like that where, where we, we work together to get here where we are. You know, obviously it's not the building is not the goal, but that was one of our goals on our journey into how can we grow the kingdom of God in Howard Springs, right? That's one of the ways. And I do remember sitting in an office with the guy from Baptist Financial Services and um, sitting there with the, the treasurer at the time, Debbie Fry, and he looked at our bank account and he said, yeah, you're not building. And I was like, yeah, we are. There's something in me that just knew for sure. It's like, no, nah, this is what I see right now. He looked at our bank account and he said, even to get the deposit, you're going to need this much money. And it was just one of those times in life where I was like, nah, that's it. This is worth fighting for. We're going to get there. And we believed and, and God did amazing things to get us here. And there has to be times in your life like that where there's a challenge so far above what you can see practically with your eyes, that, that you look at it, and the only way to actually really look at it is with eyes of faith, right? Where, you know, the Bible talks about God and it says, you know, that he calls things that are not as though they were. And an interesting way of phrasing it, he's not saying he calls things that are as though they are not, he's saying the eyes of faith look beyond what you can see naturally, right? So when we have faith, it's like every situation, every circumstance, everything that's in front of me screams the opposite of what I believe God is telling me, yet I am going to believe God. That's what faith is. 
And that faith has, has hope undergirding it, that, that underneath that there's this hope, but it's not an earthly hope, it's a, the hope from heaven that I know my God, I trust him, I believe that he can do great things. And you would have seen it throughout your life as a Christian in many situations where you've even noticed it in other people's lives or in your own life where you're at this point, you're looking, and with your eyes all you see is something opposite to what you believe but yet you see what you believe, not what you see. You understand? We don't look at the things that we can see because they're temporal, they're, they're earthly, they're subject to change, but we're looking at the heavenly things that are forever settled. So, so our heart somehow latches hold of the promises of God and the desires and the will of God, and we go, besides what I see is the promise, and I'm going to look at the promise, not what's in front of me. So here we are in this, this amazing age of, I don't know, enlightenment still going on. We're being enlightened about how things are different, how things have changed. And, you know, we, we have our children growing up in a society that is far different than when I was a child. And no doubt when I grew up, it was far different from when my parents were children. That, you know, we've gone through these generational changes of, of the, the life around us. And, you know, sometimes it looks pretty bleak. We're looking and we're going, wow, this, this world is like pushing an agenda against me and against society in particular. And, and I was reminded of that when I went into the library the other day and, you know, apparently what we promote now is, you know, the, the pride lifestyle and front and centre in the adult books, in the youth books, even in the kids' books. There's a promotion of things that we like, look at and we go, that is not what God wants. There's a fight happening, right? There's this fight for people's souls and, and we're involved in it. Now we have to accept that, honestly, we have to accept that as being part of being in a secular society and we do want it that, that we are part of a secular society and its real sense is that, you know, we're allowed to be Christian in that society. We're allowed to have our thoughts. We're allowed to, to share our faith in that society. That's what truly it really means, that no one's forcing anyone. We, I mean, God doesn't force us, does he? Did any of you actually get held down by God and you better become a Christian or else? There's this invitation. There is a, <laughs> there's a genuine or else attached to it. But there's this invitation into the life of God. Is like, I've given you free choice. So we're entering into a different type of battle. You know, we're not living in a society that just automatically accepts Christ as being, you know, the son of God, that automatically accepts there being a God, that automatically accepts that we should have morals of one standard that belong to God. And so that is being foisted on our children like never before. And it's going to be foisted on our grandchildren for a while as well as they're growing up. And... So what I felt like God was saying very clearly to me was that this church needs to start to think about what we're here for now. What are we here for now? Because what can happen is we can get really complacent, we can get lazy, we can get uninterested, we can get lethargic about the things of God, we can forget what he's done, and it's nothing new, all right? So, so why I believe God's told me this is because when we are thinking about the transition from those who have fought the battle to those who are resting in the land, 
there's a danger that we don't pass on to that next generation the ability to actually fight in faith. That they don't believe God for anything. Because whoever has gone before them has seen the victory of the Lord. They've fought really hard. Like, and I think about, you know, for, for Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, the battles that we've had to fight in faith, to be where we are, they aren't part of it. They don't see that we move from a house to a hall to a hall to another hall to another hall to here. And that each time we took that step, it was a step of faith in so many ways, you know. Is this even possible? I'm sure as, you know, my, my dad was involved with the Christian schools in the early days that, you know, we, we went to an empty block and we put some demountables on there, we had working bees, we picked up sticks. Like, for, for me, we did soccer with a pastor called John Cullen who was pastoring the AOG church at the time and, and he was very clever and sneaky as... Uh, he was Scottish, maybe that's part of it. But... Every week, he would move the soccer field. So he'd have the soccer field over here this week. Guess what the job of the kids was? Hey, guys, can you pick up all the sticks on the soccer field? <laughs> Smart, right? Yeah. So throughout all that time, we just went around thinking we were having fun, but we were actually picking up sticks to do some work. And he was clearing all those fields ready for what was to come. And, and you can see where Marara is now and the Christian schools and whatever we think about different things like that. It was something that was planted in the heart of a group of people that they wanted to have a place for Christian education for their kids. And God blessed it. But it was really hard work. Like I remember going to Working Bees where they built the first toilet block and <laughs> I don't know if the walls are really square um, and I don't know how good quality the workmanship was but it got built. Nowadays, if they wanted to build something, they'll be like, put out a tender here, you guys build it. Do you see what I'm saying? There's this heart of fighting a battle to see God come through that, that gets people into action to fight for something. That's been won. So right now, then, we enter into a new stage where it's like, how are we even going to teach our kids how to fight? How are we going to impart our faith into them? And I'm not going to give you the answers for that today because it's something that I'm still going, right, how are we going to do this as a church? How are we going to make sure that our kids are not just knowing about God and, but actually starting to experience him? Are they experiencing God? And I mean, are they even seeing it in our lifestyle as Christians? Have we also entered into that lethargic state? You know, oh, well, it's all good now, it's all done, let's all just rest and and never have to do it again. I believe in times of rest, 100%. We have to have them. But what about your teenagers here today? What about your grandkids here today? Teenagers, if you're here today, have you actually really experienced God? Have you walked into church as a young kid? Have you even been born into this church? Maybe we could just um, throw up that first slide of a family from this church. If we could do that. Hey, look out! That's Zeke. Is it? <laughs> it's not Joshua. But 
Zeke sort of, that was their only kid at the time, now they've got more kids. And, and I was trying to get a photo of when my children were actually baptised at this church. They're sort of like this tall, <laughs> a little bit less. And I thought, isn't it funny, you know, like I sat here last week with my daughter and, and our grandson, you might have seen him and if you didn't see him, you definitely heard him. And I was, I was sitting there and then my mum and dad are sitting here. There's generations that, that are starting to now fill this church, right? And uh, we can take that off. Zeke might, um, might be having kids within five years. Who knows? <laughs> hey, Alison, you ready for that? <laughs> but we're starting to see a generational change, right? That, you know, and, and Darwin, it's a little bit hard because we get people coming and going all the time and, you know, kids finish school and they leave Darwin because they're going to uni or somewhere better than Darwin or whatever. Um, not that there is such a place, but... What are we going to do about this? I hear stories from people that come and visit um, here and from interstate and the churches they go to, and, and quite often people will say, I love it, I come here and I can see kids. I can see teenagers, I can see young people. Now, we'd love that to grow for sure, that, that sort of thing, but what they're really saying is that I don't see it where I am. Only a couple of weeks ago, a guy was talking to me and he said, I don't see hardly any churches where I come from that there's people under the age of 48 to 50. There's just no young kids. What's happened? Are we neglecting to pass on? Are we neglecting to actually take our job seriously? And this is why um, I wanted to talk about it. I know that God wants us to teach our kids how to fight. It's very important. Now, further to that, there's some other stuff. Uh, but, but within about 10 years, a lot of us are going to be gone, the older, older, older generation, like maybe not here, maybe in heaven, maybe interstate, maybe whatever it might be. But amongst that, amongst that, when we go, is this church going to be ready to face a new faith project are the kids that are sitting here today are the teenagers sitting here today going to be equipped to go i i believe in god i'm going to fight god i see what you're wanting us to do right now i'm going to dig in and i'm going to fight in faith or they're going to just be like oh well it's all over it's a, it's a question that we need to ask ourselves because I honestly believe that so many of us don't really invest in the next generation. I'm not talking about you, you walk in and you're warm and fuzzy when you see them, but, but there's an actual investment of heart and soul to go, you know what, I'm going to see this next generation as the next generation of warriors for, for the kingdom of God. I'm actually going to invest my time and my talents into them. I'm going to open up my life so that I can, can mentor them, that I can put into their life something of what God has done, that I can teach them that God can do it for them, that I can show them that God in your life makes a big difference, that this is where I came from. This is what God did for me and I'm going to declare it to them. 
And I don't just mean publicly. I mean that you are declaring so thoughtfully, so diligently into the lives of younger people, whether it's the older people investing in me, me investing in someone who's a bit younger than me, or investing in the teenagers or the children. How invested are we really? How invested are we really in what God could do? And like I said, it is absolutely nothing new. So let's have a look at Judges 2, verse 7 to 9. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land that he had been allocated at Timath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. This is coming to the end of Joshua's lifetime. Now, before they entered into the promised land, Joshua had become the leader of Israel after Moses had died. And God came to him and he said, be strong and courageous. In other words, there's a battle ahead. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. I'm going to drive out the enemies, the inhabitants of this land, and I'm going to give it to you. Go there encouraged. The Israelites did that. They went there encouraged. They started to win battle after battle, victory after victory. But at some stage, Joshua addressed them and he said, guys, I want you to stop and think. He says, look what the Lord's done. He's driven out the inhabitants, everyone we've come against, we've defeated, we're gaining the land, the territory, they hadn't got it all yet, but he said that God has done everything that he said he would do. We've believed in him, we've trusted him. And driven out the enemies. And there are those amongst them, amongst Joshua, as he came to the end of his, end of his days, that had seen that with him, that had lived through that with him, that had, that had gone through the battle with him. And, and, and while they were alive, everything was good. They were still following God. And Joshua had warned them and he said, Guys, this is what has happened, but don't turn away from the Lord because surely his hand will be lifted off. And of course, everyone doubled down. Yeah, we're never going to leave God. We're always going to serve him and... You know, while Joshua was alive, while he was alive, while those elders that were with him kept on living, they served the Lord. Is it possible that that sometimes happens in churches? We have people of faith who have built something up that have fought the battle and their kids have come in and they've sort of lived in the land of peace which God also gave to these guys at the time. There's enemies all around and God gave them peace. And they neglected to pass on what God had actually done. They neglected to build in the children the faith that they were meant to build. And so these people are alive. While the church people are alive, what about the people that have built Cornerstone over the years? While they were alive, while the ones that had served at that time were alive, people served the Lord. But what about when we're gone? Are they going to continue on in the things of the Lord? Let's go to the next few verses. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord's, 
did evil in the Lord's sight and served images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. In another part in Joshua, it talks about don't go and embed yourself in the customs of the world that's around you. If you want to have God still with you, don't go and do that. And at the moment, I wonder how hard do we fight for faith? How hard do we continue to build that up in the next generation? Because it's very obvious that if we don't, they're just going to go and worship other gods. The God of money, the God of sex, the God of fame, the God of do whatever you want, the God of self. How do we build that in them? That's a challenge for us in the next 10 years, guys. How are we going to do it? We, how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? Because it cannot be up to one person. What's your responsibility in all that? Is your responsibility to come to church and go home? Is your responsibility to come to church, go to a connect group? Is your responsibility to come to church and invest in the young people, what's the responsibility that you have? The thing is that we are surrounded by the enemy. I'm talking about Satan, the ruler and power of this world. Yes, God is above it all. Yes, when we become Christians, that breaks every single piece of authority Satan ever had in our life. But we're surrounded by it, aren't we? I was even reflecting with music, because I was listening, going back to my old days, (laughs) listening to David Meese, and I was thinking, isn't it funny, mum and dad used to buy me a cassette, for those who know what they are. And they'd buy me a cassette and one of them was David Meese, a Christian artist, and I could sit and listen to that on the, <laughs> on the tape player, the cassette recorder. But it was there, it was a gift, it was imparted. How do kids get their music nowadays? Spotify, online, whatever it might be. All of a sudden there's this ability for us to control... What's going into their lives? Is that not true? You see, before I couldn't just go on Spotify and look up any music I wanted. It was like, oh, this is the the tape mum and dad got me, let me listen to that. And, of course, other music. But it was very, very easy to look after, right? Back in the day, when we used to have landlines, does people remember them, landlines? (laughs) Who's got one still? Some people. But we actually had phones that sat in the house and they had a cord attached even worse and if anyone rang up you it wasn't sure that the person you're trying to ring was going to answer so if you're ringing your girlfriend or someone girl you liked at school it's like oh man nerve-wracking And, and then, <laughs> then on the end of the line, Dad answers. Yes, who's this? Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, Neil. Can I speak to, to so-and-so? <laughs> there was relational control as well. What's going into the kids' lives, right? 
well, what have we got now? A different world. Now, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying it's the way it is. It's definitely challenging for us to go, how do we keep the world, how do we keep the things of this world grabbing hold of our kids' hearts? When we know that every show we watch has to have a gay couple on it, like it seems to be embedded in every show, right? It's there. When every show has values that are opposite what we believe as Christians, they're not... Now, again, going back to we know what's going on in our kids' lives when I was young because we had to watch TV. We couldn't go on the internet and search whatever we wanted. We couldn't get all the stuff sent to us from our friends that was inappropriate or or challenging. There were other ways it was challenging, don't get me wrong. Faith is always challenged, no matter what generation we're in. But I think we're very naive to think that we don't have to have to purposefully and purposely guard the hearts of our children. That we have to start to think, how is it that I'm going to teach them how to love God well? How to be obedient to God when, when the message that is so strong all around is totally opposite to that? This is a challenge that we have. But it's a challenge that I know we need to take up as a church. I know that that God's asking us to start to think very carefully about it. How are we going to teach our children not only to fight for faith, but to live in faith, to be people that love their God, to be people that praise their God, to be people that can see the goodness of God? Well, first of all, it has to start with us saying we're going to make a decision to invest. We're not going to be a bunch of half-hearted, warm, fuzzy, lukewarm Christians without the knowledge of who God is. We're going to take the time to actually really think about it, to reflect about it. I love what David says in one of his psalms. We'll go there now. Psalm 71, verse 14 to 19. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. It's like David, this is at the end of his life, is saying, actually, the way I've praised you before keeps on growing. As I get older, I'm not getting less excited about you. I'm getting more excited about you. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power, though I'm not skilled with words. Now, I like that because it's saying to you guys right now and saying to me, you might think you're not that great, saying how good God is. David, although we might differ with what he says here, says, I'm not skilled with words, but I tell you what, even though I'm not the best evangelist in the world, I'm not the best at sharing Jesus in the world, all day long I'm going to proclaim that. All day long, I'm going to tell everyone I meet, everyone I know, through the way I live my life, the way, the way I speak, that, that I'm going to proclaim your saving power, God. I will praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone, you alone are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I'm old and grey, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? 
Don't you just love that? The heart of someone who has grown up with God and, and if you read through that whole psalm, it talks about in his youth how he followed God and God spoke into his life. But I wonder how resolved are we to that? I hope it's strongly resolved. In our heart, have we come to that point where we're saying, God, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Has that been something that has settled in your heart? Has it settled in my heart? What are we proclaiming about God? What are we proclaiming about what he's done? What are we telling our kids about him? Are we ashamed to speak God into their lives? Because we want them to just make their own choice. I can tell you right now, no one makes their own choice. <laughs> Even though we have a free will. You see, what I'm brought up in, what I'm soaked in, what the environment around me is, what, what is life around me is what soaks into my soul. And if our kids are surrounded with devilish ideas, the ideas of man, the customs of the world, and see nothing different and nothing proclaimed as being different about being a Christian, being made alive in God, how God has saved, how he's given you power... That if they come to a church where people don't value that community and the culture of Christianity, that, that, they don't, that we don't create a place where when our children come in, they are soaking in the love of God, they are soaking in the presence of God, they are soaking in the power of God, they are soaking in the praises of God because we're like David and we're saying, I just need to praise you. When I come to church... I am so involved and so invested in worshipping you, God. And when we do, our kids are seeing spirit-filled, just love-soaked, adoring people that adore their Saviour with all their heart. And that gets transferred into them because they can see that their parents, that, that, the, that the man and woman sitting up the back without a family, that, that that single person, that everybody has this heart to show and display and praise God. That when they sit here, they go, these people actually do love Jesus. I can see it in their lives. I can see it the way they invest in me. I can see it how every single day that they live for Jesus, that, that everything about their life reflects the glory of God, that they have given themselves wholly and fully to the gospel, that they see their parents at home working on their relationships, forgiving one another, being kind, being compassionate, being tender-hearted towards one another, that they see their parents in the workplace standing up for moral things, for having the backbone to actually speak against what is wrong, that they see their parents 
giving generously to, to different causes, that they see them living a generous lifestyle of hospitality and grace and, and, and hear their words when someone has done them wrong, that they just say, oh man, Jesus forgave me. I just want to forgive them. Or do they sit there and talk about this person and build up this hatred that's in their heart and put people down? Do they talk negatively about everyone? Or is there something in their heart that is the love of God that says they believe the best of everyone? You see, if we're going to have our kids soaking, let's not let them soak in the world. Let them soak in the true love of Jesus Christ, which is displayed through his church in this world. Let it be that when they see people who are investing in their lives, it's not somebody with an agenda of evil, but somebody who just wants the best for them, that wants them saved, that wants them experiencing the love of God. And let us be people who pray fervently because this cannot happen without people who pray. It just cannot happen. I'll read one more. Um, it's just from a, a guy called Morgan. That will help keep you young as well. All right. There is nothing more calculated to keep the heart of age young than to stand by the young, sympathising with their ambitions, heartening their endeavours, stiffening their courage. By recounting the stories of the strength of God, the experiences of his might. Church, I'm throwing out a challenge to us. Is that what we're going to be doing with our young people? Is that it? Are we going to be standing by them? Are we going to be sympathising with their ambitions? Are we going to hearten their endeavours? Are we going to stiffen their courage? And are we going to recount the stories to them of the strength of God and the experiences of his might? I just want to pray that we wouldn't be the people that have entered into the promised land, entered into the things God has had for us, that we forget to teach our children how to fight because there's a battle underway for their souls. And church, it's our job to make sure that we teach our children how to fight. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you that you have done so much for us. So many of us have already experienced you, but Lord God, we want to see a generational church, Lord God, not that just has people of every generation, but has faith-filled people from every generation. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would begin to grow the experience of yourself for those young people in our church, that they wouldn't be kids that just know of you, that they wouldn't be just kids that know about you, but they would be kids that know you because those who know their God will do exploits. So, Father, we just declare that over this church, that, that our hearts would be moved 
that we would deepen our relationship with you, that we would deepen our resolve to be people of integrity, to be people of faith, and to not neglect to build the next generation that follows and the generation after that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, we're going to be led in worship here um, in singing. I'm actually, I mean, you can come up the front for prayer if you want, but I'm not specifically saying come up for prayer. What I want us to do this morning is to just really let the Holy Spirit soak into our lives, all right? What is it that God's asking you to do? How is he asking you to invest in this next generation coming through? You might not get the answer today, but what I want you to do is start seeking it. What, what am I doing, God? Am I declaring? Am I standing? Am I strengthening? Because God is not finished with this world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for every person. And his desire is to see every person saved. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. He is the same God. Yesterday, today and forever. And he never leaves us. And he never forsakes us.